seated this morning. It's great just to be in the presence of God and the opportunity for us to gather. Uh, the Bible makes it very clear. I promise that we can hold on to is where two or more are gathered, there He is in the midst of us. And we know that Christ is here. His presence lives inside of us. And so when we come together like we did this morning just to pray for one another and with one another, we know that Jesus Christ is here with us and we get to experience that. Well, this is a very special day for me because today is my wedding anniversary. Jennifer and I have been married for 18 years, July 31st. So yeah, the clapping is the clapping is for her that she would endure me for the last 18 years or so. So uh, I get to experience that. And, and what I discovered this morning is one of my habits is and uh, just in getting in God's Word, and that's really a lot of what we're going to talk about this morning. But one of my habits is reading a proverb per day because Proverbs has 31 chapters. And so if you read a proverb every day, especially for the months that have 31 days or the months that have 30, you're reading through the book of Proverbs every month. And so that's a great deal. And what I discovered this morning that I can't believe I haven't discovered before is today is July 31st, our anniversary. And I read Proverbs 31, which is a description of a godly woman. And I just discovered today that Jennifer chose this day so that I would always, for, for as long as I live, will, will read Proverbs 31 and think about my wife, who really exemplifies that. But because it's our anniversary, I want to share, first of all, that I love my wife and just uh, she is a treasure to me and uh, I just love the opportunity just to, to sing her praises this morning. But I also get to share with you my favorite story about Jennifer. And uh, yeah, what are you guys thinking? Are you thinking this, this might be funny? Yeah, it, it might just be. You see, Jennifer shares something with our lead pastor, Bart Howell, in that she has this devastating fear of sharks, okay? They actually text quite a bit. They actually will scare one another by texting pictures of sharks to each other at times. <clears throat> it's kind of silly, you know? It's not like she's ever actually been in any jeopardy or potential opportunity where she could be eaten by a shark necessarily. But I've also shared with you that Jennifer and I um, really have struggled in our marriage with the area of leisure companionship or recreational companionship. Whenever I work with couples or do premarital counseling, I give this assessment. And Jennifer and I are one of the only couples that I've ever given this assessment to that we scored a zero, I'm talking zero, all right, on recreational companionship. So we've had to work very hard at that in our marriage. But we discovered something that really was something that we both loved and enjoyed, and it was called the beach. And the reason we love the beach is because I have discovered this thing called snorkeling, and I fell in love with it the first time I ever did it. And I just, you know, I didn't think it would be as cool as it was, but I would just follow from fish to fish or find a shell. And, I mean, I could just do this for hours upon end. I guess it's a great thing for an ADD person to do. It's like, another fish, fish, okay, okay, go, go all of these different places, okay. And Jennifer likes to lay on the beach and read a book. And then tell me what it's about, and then usually I'll say something like, okay, can I wait to see the movie on that? I mean, that's typically about where my intelligence goes with that. But we love to do that together because she gets to do what she loves to do, and I get to do what I love to do, and we're both at the beach. So that's as close as we get to recreational companionship. I'm sorry, that's, that's just it. But one particular time, I convinced Jennifer to go snorkeling with me. And she said to me, 
Now, do not leave me. And, of course, I said, I would never leave you. What are you talking about? Although on every other trip, I always get in trouble because I walk too fast and I'm too far in front. And, I mean, I, I'm, I'm notorious for that. So we start snorkeling. And, again, I'm going from fish to fish to fish. And I turn around and look, and I can't find her anywhere. And I realize that I need to get closer to the shore. So I finally pick up where she's at, and I go up into this tidal pool. Now, if you don't snorkel, if you've never been around it, what a tidal pool basically is where when the tide comes in, it will create an area where the, it's kind of a calm area that is in the, in the tide. And so it had an inflow area that would go in and out with the waves as they would come in. And so as you're swimming through it, it was kind of difficult to get through because you would swim through it and then it would begin to suck you back out and you'd have to wait till it, another wave came in. So you kind of get the picture. We're going in and out. Well, Jennifer has gotten far enough behind me that I'm way ahead of her and I go through the tidal pool and I'm having a great time in this big tidal pool area and there's all kinds of neat stuff to see in there. And I turn around and I see my lovely wife struggling to get through this little area. And, I mean, she is flailing her arms and her legs. I mean, it is a bad seed. I'm thinking she thinks she's drowning, okay? I mean, she is flopping like a fish. I mean, I don't know what else to say. But, I mean, she is just going through this area. And finally I realize, and I, I look and I yell, Stand up! Stand up! And she stands up. She was in a foot and a half of water, Okay? A foot and a half of water, but because she followed me swimming through, I mean, she's struggling to get through, and it was hilarious. And here she is, hair drenched down. She looks at me, looks up at the beach, heads back up, throws her snorkel stuff down, throws her goggles down, everything, never to have snorkeled again with me, ever, okay? I was laughing, mind you, I was laughing that this is. How does it, what in the world does this have to do with this series that we've been in? We've been in a series called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. We've been talking about Old Testament kings. And the message is the same that I gave to Jennifer that day, which is stand up. Stand up. For you, for you and I, the body of Christ, the church, the whole issue for us is we've got everything we need to live out our faith. But sometimes we think we're in this life and we're so in deep in all the issues, the minutia of, of things that are going on in our life, and we're so deep in the current tragedy of the day, and we all walk in and out of them. Every single week, people are going through difficulties and great things. They're going through joys and sorrows. And part of this whole process, the reason we come together like we did this morning to, to pray together is because, hey, we're all in this journey together. But stand up. Today we get to conclude this series in the good, the bad, and the ugly with a great king. The Bible calls him the last great king of Judah. His name is Josiah. Now, moms and dads, if you're out there and you're, you've not yet had a child or you're pregnant with a child and you have a boy, Josiah is a great, great name that you could name your child because Josiah was one of the greatest kings that ever lived. He was one of the greatest kings in Judah and in Israel's history. And today we get to finish with a great character, this character of Josiah. Now, on a side note, my middle name was almost Joe. My great-grandfather's name was Joe. Now, can you imagine with me if I had showed up here today and my name was Randy Joe Miller, okay? 
That would just be hard. And I'm from Arkansas. It sounds like I should be on Petticoat Junction, okay? If you're under 40 today, you don't know what Petticoat Junction is. But it was this great show where Betty Joe and Bobby Joe and they, they were sisters. See, oh, anyway, I'm not going to go into it. But Randy Joe would not have been a good nickname, a good name for me. So I'm so thankful my parents made my middle name Scott. And so it's Randy Scott and not Randy Joe. Anyway, that's a side story. Doesn't have anything to do with Josiah. But Josiah was a phenomenal king. And we get to read his story today. We get to know who he is. And Josiah for us is going to be an example for us as we live our Christian walk and our Christian faith. I want you to hold on to the story of Josiah because it is highly significant. But before we get to Josiah, I want to give us a little history lesson. Okay, we've always gotten used to this little history lesson that we get before we go into the kings. But we're going to broaden it, widen it just a little bit today. Because I got to go this week and be with our students just at camp for one night. And then I got to go home and sleep in my own bed. And that was really great, by the way. Um, But our students were at camp this week at UTA. And they're wearing their shirt. Matter of fact, would you guys, Kayla, would you stand and model our shirt for us? There you go. And it had, there you go. Thank you, Kayla. You can sit back down now. All right. That was really good. Okay. But it says Deuteronomy 6.5. Kayla, that was really good. I'll never ask you to do that again. All right. (laughs) But but Deuteronomy 6.5 gives us a great picture into the life of Josiah. But we have to back up a little bit, and I want to give you a little bit of the history of the whole Israelite nation. You see, the, the whole nation of Israel is to be a living example for us. And we're going to talk about hearing from God through His Word on a continual basis. But whenever you see Israel in Scripture, maybe you're reading through the Old Testament, maybe it's getting a little dry for you, and you're going, okay, why all these laws, and what's all these, what are all these kings, and what are all these things, what is this really about? Whenever you see Israel, what I want you to see is Israel is also a picture in the Old Testament pointing to Christ. Israel's a picture of the church, what the church should be. Now, they're not immediate parallels, but when you read the Old Testament and you read something about the nation of Israel, I want you to picture what does this have to say to us as the church, the body of Christ. I want you to go back to Genesis 12. The pastor at the camp this week shared this passage this week, and it just reminded me of this. Genesis 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred. Leave everybody, everything that is really calm. Leave everything that is comfortable for you and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. But why? So that you will be a blessing to others. That's what God has called us as a church to be. Not just a blessing. God, just bless us. Bring us, let us be the Dead Sea where everything flows into us and then it's all ours and it never flows out. No, God wants to bless us to be a blessing for others. And that's what he says about the people of Israel. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth. Okay, what do we have gathered here today? Families of the earth. All the families of the earth will be blessed. That is a picture pointing to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came through Israel. And Jesus was a blessing to all nations. But what God is calling us to do, and He's calling the children of Israel to do at this time, is I'm going to show myself 
in you. I'm going to show the world a whole new thing through you. But Israel just didn't get it. They didn't get the fact that if they would have focused on God, if He would have been their passion and their treasure, as we've seen with some of the good kings that we've studied, that God would bless them. But the blessing wasn't just for them. It's that they would be a light to all nations. That's what the church is designed to be. God wants us to be a light to all nations, both here in Saginaw and to the world. As just in a week or so, our team heads to Mexico to be a light to that country as God leads us and leads us into a place where we can be a light to other nations. He also wants us to be a light to those around us. But here's how the story went. What we're literally living out is 4,000 years of history. We are 2,000 years past when Christ was born. 2,000 years prior to when Christ was born was Abraham's call, what I just read to you. 2,000 B.C. is when, around which when Abraham was called. And you remember how the story went. Abraham went to Canaan. He had a son named Isaac. Isaac had two sons named Esau and Jacob. And Jacob was the line in which God would continue to operate. And Jacob had sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. He had 13 sons, and one of his sons was Joseph. Joseph, his brothers, sold him into slavery in a place called Egypt, which was the power of the time. And Joseph went into Egypt and endured an incredible amount of things. And Joseph is another one of my favorite biblical characters. But Joseph is there in Egypt in a time in which Israel... In Canaan, where, where Jacob and all of his sons were now living, thinking Jacob thinking that Joseph was dead, that land is going through a famine, okay? A drought. Can anybody experience with me a drought? Okay, I think we know a little bit of what it might have been like in Israel, but it was like that for years. And God raised up Joseph, who is in Egypt, to be, after he forgives his brothers, to bring his brothers to live in Egypt. And God develops this great nation in this place called Goshen, which is in Egypt. That Pharaoh who knew Joseph, and what J- Joseph was actually the second in command of all of Egypt, he dies. And that Pharaoh who knows Joseph dies. And a couple of Pharaohs down the line take place. And all the people of Israel who've gathered there in this place called Goshen have gotten so large that Egypt doesn't want to deal with them anymore. So they enslave them and they use them to build the cities and the things that we see and know of today of Egypt. And then God leads them out of Egypt. And he uses a specific character. And we know that character to be, I'm seeing if you're listening, it is Moses. You guys are so much smarter than the first service, okay? There you go. You guys are so much better than them because they didn't get this. So Moses leads the children of Israel out of Egypt and they settle back in the land, the promised land that God gives them. Moses can't take them over. He can't cross them over. So Joshua takes the people over. And for 500 years, we see a land who is taken over by what's called the judges. The people are ruled by judges. And that brought us to Saul, who around 1050 B.C., so we went from Abraham around 2000 to about 1000 B.C., and that's where we have where we've been the last several weeks. From 1000 B.C. to about 500 B.C., that's the time in which these kings ruled the land of Israel and the land of Judah. Remember, we we broke into two different tribes or two different nations, the northern tribes, ten tribes, the southern tribes, two, Judah and Benjamin. 
around 723 B.C., the northern kingdom is taken captive by Assyria, the great power that we talked about last week. Hezekiah was the king in Judah. And the Bible said, remember, that, he- that Sennacherib, the ruler of Assyria, would never set foot in Jerusalem. And he didn't. As a matter of fact, Assyria goes off the scene. They're no longer the world power. But another group comes in, a group called Babylon, the Babylonians. And the king is Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is where we get the biblical stories. Have you heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Okay, that is not your shack, my shack, and a bungalow. Okay, I know many of you think that it is. That's not who it is. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're going into the fiery furnace. That is Nebuchadnezzar. That is the Babylonian king who takes them captive. And so here we come now to this northern last, one of the last kings, Josiah. Josiah is the final great king in Judah. And we read about Josiah as we, and where do we find Josiah's story? Let me first deal with that. that we find his story in 2 Kings 22 and 23 and also 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. Now, if you're wondering who are the prophets that are prophesying during this time, we have two, Jeremiah and Zephaniah. So they are in the prophets. If you go towards the end of your Old Testament, you're going to find Jeremiah and Zephaniah. So I say all of this to kind of paint you a picture of what's taken place. 2,000 years before Christ, now here we sit 2,000 years after Christ. But this period of time of Israel, God wants to show us through these stories and through these kings a little bit about our own character. He wants to show us how we can be, as Josiah is, a God-centered person. And Josiah is going to be our illustration today. I, I may share a few things along the way, but Josiah's life is our illustration. Josiah came to reign, <clears throat> excuse me, he came to reign when he was only eight years old. So here's the first thing I want to share with you today, and that is this, that a child in the hands of God can transform a whole nation. I'm so thankful that our students are back from camp. Here's the thing that I want to tell you guys. Don't let anybody ever tell you that as a younger person that God doesn't want or can't use you in his kingdom. He used Josiah, and Josiah came to be a king when he was eight years old. An eight-year-old person, if you go to EVC, can't even go to children's camp yet. Okay? But this is a young man who came into power as an eight-year-old. Now, more than likely, there were other people who were helping him rule the country. But Josiah comes to reign as an eight-year-old. Second Kings 23, verse 25 says, Before him there was no king like him. Now, we've talked about some great kings, haven't we? David, Asa, Hezekiah. These were tremendous kings. But none of them, the Bible says, was like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. Now, that's going to be very significant to our story. But according to the law of Moses, nor did any like him arise after him. Of all the kings we've studied, what the Bible says is Josiah was greater than all of them. And it says he loved the Lord his God with all his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength. And Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 is where we find a statement similar to that. It's called the Shema. It is what the people of Israel would teach to their children. And it says this, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. The story for us, just like the story of Josiah, is simply this. If we are God-centered, there is no telling what God will do with us. I don't care whether you're 8 years old today or you're 80. God wants to do significant things in your life. And God wants to use you in a mighty way. He used Josiah. And yes, we have these books or these chapters in the Bible written about Josiah. But your story is your story. And God wants to show up in your life. And He wants to walk you through difficulty. And He wants to walk you through illness. And He wants to walk you into school on your first day of high school. Or your first day of junior high. Or your first day of your new job. God wants to walk with you. And He wants to show Himself great in your life. But why? To be a blessing to other people. It's not that you would be this dead sea of Life coming into you. Jesus Christ continually living His life in you. And then with a big stopper in the end of it, that it's only for you. You see, in the church today, we've made our faith about us and not about God. And what God wants to do and what He wants to show us in the life of Josiah is that when we're centered on Him, He will do incredible things. As I said, Josiah is going to be our illustration today. And so what we see in the life of Josiah, the point for us is going to be, how can we do this? So here, how was Josiah God-centered, and how can we be? The first thing we see in Josiah's life is Josiah sought God. Second Chronicles records this. It's similar to what we found in Second Kings, but it says in verse 1 of chapter 34, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And he walked in the ways of, his, of David, his father. And he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. What a great word, right? He did not turn aside to the right or to the left. Now, that's very difficult for some of us who are ADD to do, okay? To stay focused on what God wants us to do. But it says he didn't turn to the right or to the left. What is he saying? He is centered on God. He is centered on what God wants him to to do and to be. What would our lives look like if we were centered in on what God has for us? If we didn't turn to the left, if we didn't allow the little distractions of life, if we didn't allow the the priorities out of alignment, if we didn't allow the things that that wants to get our attention off of being God-centered. And what did Josiah do? do? He sought God. What are we supposed to do? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't finish this passage. Let me verse 3. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. When he was yet a boy. That's really my testimony. I didn't get into a life of drugs, alcohol. I accepted Christ when I was nine years old. God, I gave my heart to him when I was nine. Now, I can't say and live and say that a book written about me would be the same as Josiah. I have messed up so many times, time and time again. But I've been involved in God's work literally since I was about nine years old. And this is my testimony. When, when I got hold of this, when the first time that I heard this story of Josiah, I'll never forget, I was at the only youth camp that I ever went to. I was a ninth grader. And I went and I heard this story of Josiah, and I remember what that camp pastor said. And it's the same thing I say today. 
God can use you as a young person. He wants to get you on track and on focus and centered in on Him at whatever age you are. If your life has half gone before you or three-fourths of the way behind you, God says to you still, I want your focus to be on me. But my testimony is one that I accepted Christ in an early age and sought to follow Him. I didn't live up to it at all at the way that I would have liked to, but I wanted to seek God, and He's still my passion that I want to seek after Him. What's the point for us? We need to seek Him. We need to seek Him. We go back to Deuteronomy 6 again. We should love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, and all our might. What does that look like? That we would be so passionately focused on Christ that He is everything to us. That He is our mind, our soul. He is our heart's attention. He is our mind. He is He's our mind's attention. He's our heart's affection. He is everything that God has for us. Psalm 42 says this. Psalm 42, 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams. Okay? Can you relate to that these days? Okay? It's going to be 107 this week is what I hear. Okay? It is hot. But imagine a deer in this kind of heat because they're around and they've been running for a while, and they pant after God. I told you guys a story about my dog Daisy the other day. Well, Daisy is not an exercising type of dog, okay? Daisy, when she is out for 15 minutes in this heat, her tongue is hanging down. And it's a picture of this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, when you're parched, when you're hot, when you're thirsty, God wants us to be like that for Him. So my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirst for God, the living God. As Josiah sought God, that's, our, that's the point for us. He's the living illustration. We need to seek after God. What does that look like for you? That you would seek God, that you would hear from Him, that you would actually pursue where He wants you to be. The second thing we see in the life of Josiah is what we saw in any of the kings that got right with God. They cleansed the temple. Second Kings 22 talks about this. It says, go up to Hilkiah, the priest. Now, Hilkiah was the high priest when Josiah was growing up. It is more than likely that because Josiah's father, who was king before him, only reigned for three months. He only reigned for three months because he was an evil man. His father before him was a man named Manasseh, and his father before him was Hezekiah. So Josiah is just three generations removed from another great king. But Manasseh was one of the worst kings that ever lived. And he turned the hearts of the people back to idols and back to sacrifices. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Manasseh actually sacrificed his own son to the god Molech, which is one of the gods of the Canaanites. And this is how quickly the children of Israel moved away from God. But Hilkiah, in the absence of Josiah having his father around, Hilkiah, the high priest, was probably a person in Josiah's life. Let me say this to some of you. Some of you are people, men and women, in the lives of kids who don't have dads or don't have moms. What an important role you play. Some of you are foster parents. Some of you are raising grandchildren. What an incredible role you have. When you see Hilkiah, what I want you to see is a man who ministered in the life of Josiah. It says, Go up to Hilkiah the priest that he may count the money 
that has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the keepers of the threshold have collected from the people. And let it be given into the hand of the workmen who have come over the oversight of the house of the Lord and who are of the house of the Lord who are now repairing the house. You can see this box that we have here. This box that has the cross on it. Dustin and his dad, Victor Rimmers, built this for us as we were doing our Moving Forward campaign. It's what we brought and laid and placed in this box, the, the Moving Forward contributions and our commitments over the next couple of years. And if you imagine a box like this in the house of the Lord, what Josiah says is go and get the house of the, the money that's been given to repair the house of the Lord because the, the people of Israel, when they would come and do sacrifices, would put money in that box. And in that box, they would do that so that the, the temple could be repaired. And it had gone years without being emptied. And Josiah says, go get the money and bring it to Hilkiah. And they first began by cleansing the temple. Before he did anything else, as just a 16-year-old man, because this was in the eighth year of his reign, he began when he was eight years old. So last time I checked, that's 16, okay? Eight plus eight is 16. In the 16th, his 16th year of life, okay? Can you guys imagine that? Some of you are getting ready to turn 16. In your 16th year of life, you're a ruler of a nation, and you're centered in on God, and your first act is really to cleanse the temple. What's the message for us? We're the temple. Cleanse your hearts. Your hearts are the temple of God's Spirit. I've been at EVC now for about 15 months or so, and one of the first things as our staff, we were talking about different things, and we called this the sanctuary, okay? When we, is the sanctuary cool? Are the fans in the sanctuary on? Well, I had a problem with that. I went, wait a second. That's not the sanctuary. We're the sanctuary. That's a place where we worship. That's a place where we go to worship. But it's not the sanctuary we are. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 and 20 tells us this. As Josiah cleansed the temple, the message for us is we need to cleanse our hearts because we're the temple. Verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. What price was that? The life of Jesus Christ. Your life was bought with a price. Jesus died for you so that you could be the indwelling place of the Holy Spirit. He lives in you and me. Whenever you see the temple in the Old Testament, if you're struggling as you're reading through some of the Old Testament and you see the temple, what you need to think of is, that's a picture of my heart. When the temple got corroded, when the temple was defiled because they brought in other idols, and when the doors were shut... What about your heart? Is your heart open for the Holy Spirit who lives in you? It's not an option. It's not, today I'm taking out the Holy Spirit and I'm going to live my life the way I want to. No. The Holy Spirit goes wherever you go as a believer. Always great for us to remember for our teenagers here today. Whenever you guys go to college, guess what? You don't leave the Holy Spirit at home. He goes with you. You are always accountable to the Holy Spirit because he goes with you wherever you are. You are the temple of God. This is not a temple. This is a building. This is a roof. These are walls. You and I are the temple. You've been bought with a price. So the message from Josiah's life is cleanse your own heart. Are your hearts ready to seek God? Is it cleaned out? Have you taken off the old things, put on the newness of Christ to allow the Holy Spirit to live in you? What else did Josiah do? 
He found the book of the law. Now, isn't this interesting? Second Chronicles 34. While they were bringing out the money, okay? Now, I don't know who the guy was that left the book of the law, where he left it, but here's what happened. This is a great story. While they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law given through Moses. Now, you would think with the history that I just talked about that they would cherish the book of the law enough not to just leave it laying around, okay? But they found it in the money box in the temple. And Hilkiah found it, and he brought it out, and he read it. He found the book of the law, and what we see in Josiah's life is he not only found the book of the law, but he read God's word. Second Corinthians or Second Second Kings verse twenty or chapter twenty two verse ten says, Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has found the book of the law. And Shaphan read it before the king, and what was his response? When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. The king read the book, and he measured his life against what it said. And he measured the people against what it said. And he said, we are so off track. He tore his clothes. The Bible often talks about that when they tear their clothes, it's just a point of of repentance that their lives don't line up. He not only found the book of the law, but he read it. He not only read it himself, but he sought to understand it. He went and he found this lady who was a prophetess. Her name was Huldah. And he wanted to not only know what, not only just read what the book of the law said, but he wanted to know what it meant. And she told him these two things. He said, first of all, she said to Josiah, God is going to pour out His wrath upon Judah. Josiah, you're coming to the end of your reign. We're coming to this time period where God has had all He can take from His people who've been idolatrous. He wanted to show himself as a blessing through them, and he's still going to do that, but they've been so disobedient that he's going to judge them, and he's going to take them away. And it won't be Assyria, but it'll be Babylon. They will go to Babylon, and over 10,000 of the leaders who are in Jerusalem will be carried off to Babylon. And it won't take place, though, in Josiah's reign. The other thing the prophetess Huldah says, she says, Josiah, you've been obedient, and this disaster that's coming will not take place in your lifetime. But not only did he seek to understand it, he also obeyed, he obeyed God's word. And I want to say this. In this idea of seeking to understand, when we find the book of the law, sometimes here's what my question is. I would venture to guess that every person in here probably has a Bible, maybe multiple Bibles. When's the last time you opened it? If you blew the dust off your Bible, Would you have to change the filters in your house? Okay, that's the question that we ask, right? God's Word is living and breathing, and what He desires for us is to meet with us. But here's the truth. Sometimes we don't understand what it says. And God has placed us here as pastors and as shepherds. God's given you life group leaders, and we want to be there and be available. Sometimes I am so... I I think about the fact that I get so few questions about sometimes what God's Word actually means. So that tells me one of a couple of things. Either people don't think I'm available and don't want to bother me with their questions, which I think is tragic. We're available. 
We want to help you. God hasn't given us this education for nothing. It has hopefully not been wasted on us. But God wants us to help you as you discover God's Word. But here's the ultimate goal. You don't have to go through us as your pastors. We're not the mediators. God wants to speak to you clearly through your, your Bible as you spend time with Him. He wants to feed you on a daily basis. He wants you to fall in love with this book that He's given you. So what do we see in the life of Josiah? He obeyed God's Word. He didn't just read it. He didn't just hear it. He obeyed it. Second Chronicles 34 verse 29 says this, Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah. Now, pay attention when it says that. He is gathering everybody together in the whole kingdom. He even sends envoys. He sends representatives of of his into the northern tribes as well. Most of them have been taken off to Assyria, but he gathers whoever is left. He gathers all of them to Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites. It's like a parade. Everybody's going up to the house of the Lord. And all the people, both great and small, and he read in their hearing. I think that's significant. I don't think Josiah gave this to someone else to do. I think Josiah stood and he read the book of the law to the people himself. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant that he had found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord to keep His commandments, to do what His predecessors had not done, to keep His testimonies and His statutes with all His heart and with all His soul, to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. And then it's interesting. What does He do as king? Then He made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin join with it. This young king, at this point in time, probably around 22 years of age, a college student in, our t- in today's world, someone getting their first job, this guy stands up before the people and he says, I'm entering into this covenant and as your king, you're entering with, in it with me. Now what has God already said? He's already said he's going to judge the people. Josiah knew that, but he still walked with God anyway. Sometimes we are willing to obey God if it gets us what we want. If it gets us that person we're supposed to marry, if it gets us that great job, if it gets us what we want, we will worship God. But Josiah, the understanding of Josiah is Josiah followed God when God had already made it clear that he was going to take his people captive. Josiah still still walked with God. What's the word for us? We need to interact with God's word. I love that word, interact. You see, what God wants to do in your life and in my life is with His Word before us on a daily basis say, God, how do you want me to live my life according to these principles? How do you want me to line up my life like a gun sight? That I line up my life on Your glory and that Your Word is my gun sight so that I can center in, I can be God-focused, I can be God-centered and centered in on you so that you're my passion and not all these extraneous things around me. How can I do that? Joshua 1.8 tells us. It's a great verse for us to memorize. It's a great, verse to, great word to hide in our heart, which says this. Joshua said, this book of the law that later 
Josiah finds shall not depart from your mouth. Oh, that Israel would have listened to it. And oh, if we would listen to it. But you shall meditate on it. The actual idea of meditating is like a, a cow eating its could. Okay? This is a gross illustration. I'm sorry. But a cow will eat that grass and will regurgitate it and just continue to bring it back up, taking the nourishment from it. Meditate on God's Word. Keep bringing it back to your attention. Put it before you at all times so that you may be careful, not just that you would read it and then go and forget what manner of individual you are, not just look at the mirror and then go away and forget, but it says that you may be careful to do according to all that's written in it. For then you will be prosperous and then you will have success. Psalm 1 is another beautiful picture of this which says the blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor sits or stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but what his delight is in the law of the lord and he meditates on it again that same word he meditates on it day and night now we can understand this illustration and he will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season have you looked at the trees the last few weeks how their leaves are just withering, okay? I look like Redneckville in my backyard because I have a tarp strapped to the top of my trampoline and anchored down over my little Japanese maple tree because my little Japanese maple tree is going, I don't belong in Texas. I don't belong in Texas. So I've got my tarp over it, and it looks like Redneckville. Well, what's the picture? Instead of that, like being dry and parched, as you go and you walk across the grass out here and you step on that dry grass and it crumbles and it goes into the wind if there's any breeze at all and blows away. That's not what your life is supposed to be like. But that's what so many of our lives are because guess what? Our lives are supposed to be gathered around this book, planted deep within it so that our roots go down deep into it. And the message of Josiah's life was his, the book of the law, was his sight onto God's glory so that he would hit it with great accuracy. Like a tree planted by streams of water whose leaves does not wither, but it yields fruit. What's the fruit of your life and my life? Who are the people that are impacted because your life has been changed? Who are the people, who's your sphere of influence that we talked about earlier in the summer? Who are the people that you're impacting? Who are the fruit that your life is bearing because your heart is set on God's Word. And he finishes with that. In all that he does, he prospers. We hear a lot about prosperity gospel, don't we? What that really means is when you're focused on God, He's all that matters. i got real problems with if you focus on God, He's going to make you rich. No. Not rich in money. Now, He may... For some of you, and that's fine, but the whole focus is you won't have your eyes on money because you have your eyes on God. In your poverty, He will be your strength. He will make you prosperous. But I don't guarantee that that prosperous is prosperous in the world's eyes. That's not what He tells us. The wicked are not so, but like chaff, like the wind drives away. When you step on that dry grass today, remember that. Is your life like a tree planted by rivers of water or is it like the dry grass 
that buckles, that cracks beneath your feet. Final thing that we see in the life of Josiah, rather than just this idea that we interact with God's Word, we see that Josiah celebrates the Passover. This is no accident. He celebrates the Passover, and I think it has a great message for us. Second Chronicles 35, verses 16 through 18 says, So all the service of the Lord was prepared that day to keep the Passover, to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the people of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the feast of unleavened bread for seven days. No Passover like it had been kept in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet. That's 500 years earlier than this point. No Passover had been kept like the Passover of Josiah. It was quite a scene to behold. None of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as was kept by Josiah and the priests and the Levites. And all Judah and Israel were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So I want to tie you back into what we talked about earlier. I walked you through the history of Israel. But one of the greatest things in the history of Israel was the Passover. Remember what the Passover was. It was a celebration that would take place in the life of Israel. Because when they were released from Egypt, on their final day, their final night in Egypt, they celebrated this Passover meal. Because God had told Moses, have the people take the blood of a spotless lamb and put it over the doorpost of their homes. So that when they put it over the doorposts of their homes, I will send my death angel across the land of Egypt. And any home that I recognize as having the blood over the doorpost, I will pass over. But any home that does not have that, I will kill the firstborn child. And God did that in the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh let the people go because God passed over them. And again, don't miss this. What is it? It's a picture to Christ. Christ, the spotless lamb, has been placed on the doorpost of our hearts. We are His temple. And death passes over us. Do you realize if you have Christ as your Savior and Lord, you will live in eternity with God? Heaven has already begun in you if you have Him as your Savior and Lord. He he passes over you. And you are His child. Which brings us to this. How do we celebrate? How do we celebrate what God has done? We've got some great traditions at EVC that I discovered last year. We have Lake Day. The end of September this year, we will have Lake Day. We'll do baptisms at the lake. We'll eat together. It's a great celebration that reminds us of our history as a church and of the new things that God is doing in those who have received Him as their Savior and Lord. It's a great celebration. But the other celebration that we come to today is to celebrate the communion of Christ. Do you remember how Christ came to us? And on that last night, just like the last night that the children of Israel were in Egypt, Christ came to His disciples and He said, on this last night that I will be physically present with you in bodily form, I want to give you a meal. As, we cel- as He celebrated the Passover, He gave that first communion with Christ. 
to say, every time you do this, I want you to celebrate who I am in your life. And in the message of Josiah, what we see today is that he gave his heart to Christ. Or he gave his heart to God. He sought God at a very young age. So can we, at whatever age we are. He had the book of God's law in front of him to be the sight towards God's glory. And so we have his word that we can have as our sight to be in the center of God's glory. And Josiah celebrated with abandon. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? I want us to celebrate what God has done. I want you to celebrate who he wants to be in your heart and life today. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I want you to think about this for just a moment. What can you celebrate with God today? The greatest thing we can celebrate is obviously what communion is all about. And that is that we are in Christ. If you have a relationship with Christ today, I open communion to you because it's a celebration that Christ lives in your life. If you don't have a relationship with Christ today, then I want to invite you right now to invite Him into your life, to be your Savior and Lord, that this may be your first real communion, that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. You can simply ask Him to come in, and I promise you that He comes into your heart and life. But the other thing I want you to do today is I simply want you to think right now, God, what have you done in my heart this week? How can I celebrate you this week? I want you to come and take the elements, the bread and the juice. I want you to take them back to your seat. And then we are going to take communion and celebrate like Josiah celebrated. We are going to celebrate together. As you do so, Kyle is going to be coming forward. If you're in the back third or back half of the church, we have a table in the back and would love for you to go there so make this as quick as possible. We also have elements here. So as he directs you, you come and take these, take them back to your seat, and we will take communion together in just a moment. Come now to receive the elements.
already back at your seat. Just sit contemplating that question. God, what do you want me to celebrate today? We've already had a time of prayer, confession, as we thought about, is there anything in my heart that God doesn't need to be there that I can release to you? See, the great news of communion today is there's not a person in this room that deserves the grace of Christ. And there's no way and nothing you can do that would earn it. But we celebrate communion because we are not worthy to receive it. We are not worthy, but we stand in Christ. And in Him, we are worthy. Which is the reason that Jesus, on the night that He was betrayed, took bread and He broke it. And He gave it to His disciples. And He said to them, This is My body, which is for you. Broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. And He took the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. The old covenant is what we've been studying in the Old Testament. The book of the law. The thing that you can't live up to. All the laws that are there that are there to show you and I that we don't measure up. But this is a cup of a new covenant. A covenant that I make with you. Jesus said, this is my blood. Which covers your transgression. Which covers your sin. Which makes it possible for me to reside in you. My Holy Spirit to live in you. He said, this is my blood. Do this as often as you do it. Remember me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of these kings. We thank you for the good ones. God, we thank you for the bad ones. We thank You for those that we would classify as ugly kings because in all of them we see a mirror to our own hearts. We say because of some there, but for the grace of God we would be. We say for others like Josiah, that's who we want to be. We want Your Word to be so central in our life that we live it out. And we want to celebrate Your presence every day of our life. Father, I pray for this offering that we take up. That it goes for Your glory. That the name of Christ would be lifted up in our congregation, in our community, in our nation, and in our world. May You be glorified by the gifts that we bring today. In Jesus' name, Amen. As our ushers come forward and just and take up our offering today, I hope that uh, this has been a series that you've connected with. I hope that it's, it's uh, given new life to uh, maybe some of these Old Testament stories and, and that you will look at that in a whole new way. I want to remind you of some things that are upcoming. First of all, August 11th to the 13th, we're going to have 48 hours.